Good evening, everyone. Welcome to a Euractive hybrid conference in partnership with Deutsche Telekom. I'm Mariam Zaidi. I'll be moderating today's debate on towards digital sovereignty. What did the French presidency achieve and what still needs to be done? A big welcome, of course, to our in-person audience. Lovely to have um, all of you here to see so many faces live and in person. Um, and also a big thank you to everyone who is, of course, joining us online. Now, if you watch any of our in, um, Year Active debates, which I'm sure you all, of course, do, you'll know that we really do like to have um, audience participation. So please do get involved starting now. That's just all of you in the room as well. Do send in your comments or your questions into our Slido chat page, along with the name of the panelists that you're directing your questions or your comments to. And we're going to keep picking out some of your questions throughout this debate. So do get involved. And also, um, if you are following this debate, do also tweet us at EA Debates. Okay, so digital sovereignty or independence. Now, it's a big ambition that requires major leadership in a hyper-connected world. Here are some sobering scene-setting facts. 92% of data in the West is stored where? In the US. Out of the top 20 global tech brands from Apple to Huawei, I think we have a um, representative from Huawei in our audience as well, from Meta to HP, none are actually European. It's another reason why personal data is also potentially at a higher risk. For some years now, European leaders have been calling for greater ownership of vital technology from data to hardware and software at a local, national and regional level. The COVID-19 pandemic too, it's taught us quite a few things. It showed us that digital transformation is possible, but it also needs massive investment. Now, the current EU Commission President, Ursula von der Leyen, believes it's never too late to realise the ambition for digital sovereignty, as I'm sure you're quite well aware of. Um, France, a long advocate for that, broke ground with its six-month presidency of the EU via the Digital Markets Act and the Digital Service Act. But as France now passes the baton to the Czech Republic, a representative who's sitting on our stage, can they pay it forward and help the EU catch up, green up, and dare we say, dominate? Well, let's now ask our experts. Okay, so joining us are Matthew Vey. He's the head of Digital Economy Department at the Ministry of Economy in France. He joins us online. Hello to you. We have Peter Ochko. He's the Deputy Minister for Digitalization and Innovation at the Ministry of Industry and Trade, the Czech Republic. Welcome. We also have Anthony Whelan, who's a digital advisor at the Cabinet of Ursula von der Leyen, the President of the European Commission. Welcome to you too. Alexander Deschel, he's the Academic Director at SER, the Centre on Regulation Europe, who joins us online. Welcome to you also. And finally, but never least, we have Wolfgang Kopp. He's a Senior Vice President for Group, Public and Regulatory Affairs at Deutsche Telekom. Welcome to you. Welcome to all of our panellists. Now, just let everyone know, audience um, online and in person, so three of our panellists, as you can see, join me in studio. So that's Peter Ochko, Anthony Whelan and Wolfgang Kopp. Matthew Vey and Alexander Strell, as I was mentioning, do join us online. Now, Peter Ochko needs to leave in 30 minutes. So this is where... Um, the audience, if you do want to ask him a question, do put it into Slido, really starting now. I see that no questions are in yet, but do put your questions in so he can answer them before he, of course, has to leave. Okay, before we go to all of our panelists, I want to first of all go to the presidencies and see what they have to say on this topic. Um, I give the floor, first of all, to the outgoing presidency, the French presidency, for their key insights for a few minutes. So over to Mathieu Vey, the head of digital economy department at the Ministry of Economy in France. Bonsoir, and the floor is yours. 
Thank you very much uh, for the invitation. Um, it's great to be here, and I hope you, I hope you can hear me all right. Uh, uh, although I, I couldn't be in Brussels, unfortunately, for, for this occasion. And, and it's good to be in this panel at uh, um, now 24 hours before handing over to our Czech colleagues. And I'm uh, really glad to be uh, able to share a little bit about uh, what happened in the last six months. Um, of course, it was a unique moment. There was pandemics, there was uh, war in Ukraine, there were obvious uh, consequences of the climate crisis. And this uh, had a very strong impact on the digital agenda, highlighting the importance of digital in our daily lives, uh, in our economy, in our democracies, with uh, disinformation being a major topic, and also about our value chains and how uh, the digital is central to many uh, economic areas. Of course, there was a strong focus of the French presidency of the council around digital sovereignty, which is the topic of this panel today. And I think we have um, provided the evidence that digital sovereignty is not about being defensive against other regions of the world. It's not about uh, fragmenting the internet, as I've heard sometimes, but it's a way to project Europe at the forefront of the global digital race. And just, I want to very quickly um, highlight a few of the uh, items we've worked on on, on these areas. Um, um, and starting with obviously what is first and center in digital sovereignty, which is the ability to set our own rules at European level. And of course, with the DSA, with the DMA, uh, with also uh, other files uh, such as uh, the digital decade, we have demonstrated that we can lead the way in the global discussion about setting our own way and that we can act independently in that regard. And this is just the beginning because I believe Europe has shown the way. There will be other regions uh, taking up on those uh, discussions. And, and it's been a very important um, uh, milestone on the way to digital sovereignty. Of course, we will be very mindful of implementation uh, by the Commission, among others, and we are um, happy to hand over some very significant files also to the Czech Presidency, including the uh, uh, Artificial Intelligence Act, which is going to define a framework that is critical for Europe's innovation. And the second part of digital sovereignty that we've tried to work on is innovation. And we've uh, uh, announced a few uh, uh, initiatives building on previous residencies, such as Scale Up Europe, where we hope uh, to uh, commit to a uh, 5 to 10 billion euros uh, uh, mobilized to support the growth of European startups, European scale ups. 22 member states have already supported this initiative. France has committed to a billion euro support. And we think this is also a very strong aspect of digital sovereignty. But of course, speaking of sovereignty at the moment of the Ukraine war is, uh, uh, has been a game changer in the presidency. We've uh, um, had the opportunity to conclude the work on the uh, NIS2 directive, which is absolutely essential to uh, reinforce the level of cybersecurity in Europe. We've also uh, gathered ministers from across Europe uh, beginning of March in Nevers and uh, uh, reshuffled the whole agenda to address the need to support Ukraine, 
to deliver uh, uh, supplies, digital supplies to Ukraine. And, and we're glad to report there's been a, a very strong take up from the uh, private and public sectors as well. And it's still ongoing. And there's been new announcements by the commission at the digital assembly last week. Um, in terms of industrial policy as well, we've uh, worked well. There's been uh, strong uh, progress in the, in the IPCIs regarding cloud or connectivity and electronics. And we're looking forward to the ability to, to notify those projects. They're going to become a reality and we are uh, in the race for the next generations of uh, uh, chips with the Chips Act, of cloud systems as well, of connectivity, uh, 5G and beyond. And this is absolutely uh, critical as you've said in the uh, in your introduction, we need to have first-class players in Europe if we want to achieve what we uh, uh, call digital sovereignty. And finally, a topic that's been very close to our heart was the twin transition between the digital transition, the uh, uh, environmental transition. Uh, there's been a great uh, outcome with uh, uh, the agreement on the um, universal uh, charger, of course, that was found in June. That's more than 10,000 tons of waste, electronic waste that are being spared. It's a, it's a major outcome building once again to on previous presidency's work, uh, mostly. And we hope to also keep these dynamics on the twin transition live with a ministerial declaration that should be uh, published uh, tomorrow, our last day as the presidency. Uh, in order to uh, make this topic a stronger focus of the European agenda. Of course, there are other topics I could mention, but I, I want to, to leave as much space for discussions. I could mention digital commons, metaverse, but uh, I think you got the message. It was a very busy presidency, a six-month presidency, not only a four-month presidency, as some may have thought. Um, and uh, I'm sure our Czech friends are going to build on it, deliver outstanding results. They will surprise us, I'm sure, because they're uh, really very well prepared. And uh, I'm uh, wishing them all the best for, for their presidency. Okay, fantastic. Thank you, Mathieu. Um, quick follow-up, though. Um, you talked about the reshuffling of your agenda. And, of course, you had, you know, there's obviously climate change to contend with the war in Ukraine, and of course, there's been COVID. Um, so you've had lots of hurdles in your presidency. Um, what would you like to be seen taken forward by the Czech presidency? You, you obviously wish them well, um, but are there any sort of trap doors, essentially, that they need to be aware of? Well, I think they're, they're very aware of the challenges ahead, whether it's on the uh, Artificial Intelligence Act, whether it's on the Data Act, which is going to be a major uh, aspect of building a um, first-class digital economy in Europe. Uh, obviously, data is at the center of this. Um, and, and certainly, we, we hope that the twin transition discussion is also uh, maintained very high on the agenda. We think it's, it's absolutely central. Um, and uh, probably the bonus is this topic that emerged during the French presidency, but it wasn't really our initiative, uh, which is the discussion between uh, of the balance between investment in networks and uh, the use of networks. The, the fair share discussion is certainly going to be uh, an interesting topic for, for our friends and will be happy to support in the council 
uh, with ideas on the on the matter. Okay, perfect. Okay, we'll turn on to hear from the Czech presidency, and I give the floor to Peter Ochko. He's the deputy minister for digitalization and innovation at the Ministry of Industry and Trade in the Czech Republic. Please take the floor. Yeah, so good afternoon and uh, many thanks for the invitation for this uh, event in a very, uh, very timely moment. Uh, and uh, I would like to appreciate what uh, was said ma uh, by, uh, my, uh, by, by the previous speaker. And uh, uh, definitely congratulate, uh, I, I think at this moment on the 29th of uh, June, we can congratulate <laughs> to the French presidency for the, uh, for the results and the successes they had, because uh, many, many of them were already mentioned, but I think uh, that uh, we have to strengthen that, uh, <coughs> that uh, actually not everyone actually uh, was believing that, uh, for example, DSA will be uh, actually finalized during the French presidency. And actually, we as a, uh, the next presidency, we are preparing for the final uh, final trialogues uh, for uh, for DSA. And uh, actually, we are uh, we are very happy that uh, our French friends uh, were able to to finalize DSA. And DSA, uh, Digital Services Act, is uh, one of the very important files that uh, that will actually help uh, uh, European digital economy to uh, to actually. Uh, be more successful and uh, actually deals with the very important topics like uh, harmful content and disinformation. That is uh, that is uh, very important. Uh, there were many many files that were actually shifted uh, uh, shifted um, uh, by uh, by the French presidency uh, uh, shifted forward, of course, and. Um, uh, we can build on a very robust work of uh, of uh, our French friends. We were, of course, in a close touch uh, for whole the whole the period. So uh, we believe that uh, uh, the continuation, the second half of this year, can be smooth. And uh, uh, definitely, the first thing I, I would like to say is that uh, digital agenda is one of the highest priorities for the Czech government, one of the highest priorities for the Czech presidency. Uh, of course, uh, the highest priorities uh, uh, are connected with the main files that are on the table. Actually, they were mentioned. Uh, so, uh, one uh, one of the most important uh, things uh, to do now uh, in uh, digital economy in Europe is uh, uh, to actually uh, create a framework for actually dealing with uh, industrial industrial data. We we were successful with. Uh, Data Governance Act that uh, actually deals uh, with the data from uh, public sector that uh, that uh, that is already done, but now we are uh, we are actually on the way to actually finalize or to, to find a way um, how to deal with the industrial data, with the sharing, with the, uh, their use, uh, with their use for uh, for SMEs, uh, uh, for users uh, from. Uh, Actually, uh, as a cit citizens, and also for the government in uh, in a special uh, special uh, special conditions. Uh, there will be uh, definitely difficult discussions, but uh, uh, we believe that uh, we can definitely advance uh, this file uh, quite um, uh, quite significantly forward. And uh, uh, actually, uh, having a framework for data is a, a basis for successful digital economy. Uh, 
second file that was uh, also mentioned and uh, where we actually, uh, again, we, we very much appreciate uh, very intensive work of the French presidency is the, uh, the AI Act, uh, the Act on Artificial Intelligence. And um, as it is with the uh, Data Act, also in artificial intelligence, actually Europe is in a way actually to set uh, regulation standards that could be actually the role model or be best practice example for the rest of the world, uh, at least for the, uh, for the uh, parts of the world that actually share the same values as, uh, as Europe. So uh, uh, dealing with uh, artificial intelligence in a way that uh, actually stresses the human-centric uh, human approach, fundamental rights, is very important for, for us, uh, for, for Europe. And um, uh, definitely finalizing the consensus on uh, artificial intelligence is, uh, uh, is again a high priority of us. Uh, we believe that the general approach can be achieved on the Artificial Intelligence Act. And um, uh, I, I think uh, if I should name two main priorities in digital for the Czech presidency, uh, this is definitely Data Act and Artificial Intelligence Act. But, but of course, uh, I uh, at, uh, should mention also other files, at least shortly. Um, uh, what is also important for, for having actually easier access to actually governmental services for, uh, for the citizens to uh, better use the, uh, the e-government uh, is, uh, is uh, the EIDAS, uh, the Directive on uh, European uh, uh, ID, um, uh, electronic ID. Uh, that, is, uh, that is also on the way. I think um, uh, we could be also uh, quite uh, quick on that. And uh, again, thanks, uh, thanks uh, many thanks to French presidency for uh, advancing that, but uh, we believe that we could finalize, uh, finalize that, uh, that file. And uh, very shortly, uh, uh, one file that is not so, so robust as, as the previous legislation that I've mentioned, but is very important for, uh, for, for, for Europe to achieve the, its digital goals, is a digital decade policy program. Uh, it's a file that uh, actually uh, sets, uh, sets the strategy, sets uh, the main goals uh, for, EU, for the EU uh, to achieve in the digital, and also it uh, speak, uh, speaks uh, very much about green transition and, and twin, twin transition as such. Um, and um, I think it's good that uh, actually it's a, it's a legislative file. Uh, and um, it not only brings the goals, uh, it also brings uh, the mechanisms, uh, how to achieve them. It brings a better, uh, better uh, actually, uh, uh, better system of uh, measurement of, uh, of achieving the goals. Uh, uh, because uh, uh, what is not measured, it's not managed. So, so I think it, this is very, very important, and in, uh, it brings also some mechanisms to uh, to achieve the goals, like multi-country projects. So uh, it's not all, but uh, these are the main <laughs> main points that uh, that uh, that are the priorities for the Czech Czech presidency in digital. Okay, well, those sounds like um, a lot of priorities. I mean, you talk about data, AI, electronic ID, um, and then also. Um, what the French presidency also hope that you do carry forward. Um, but there is a question, and that is related to the war in Ukraine. Um, the cost of, of course, supporting Ukraine. Um, 
managing the fallout, we also have a rising you know, cost of living crisis, energy crisis. There are so many things going on right now. Decarbonisation, there are so many problems or priorities other beyond digitalisation. So does the Czech presidency really feel that they can keep the momentum going forward with digitalisation? And how can you do it in collaboration perhaps with the European Commission? It's a very good question, actually. I didn't mention Ukraine, and uh, of course, uh, Ukraine, uh, as, as it was uh, during the French presidency, and we, uh, again, we have to appreciate uh, how French presidency did uh, did, uh, uh, did work in a, in a situation of uh, unprecedented situation of, uh, of Russian aggression at Ukraine. Uh, we also um, have to uh, count with, uh, uh, with, uh, with the fact that, uh, that uh, the Ukraine crisis will influence our uh, our presidency. Uh, of course, uh, you you have mentioned the uh, energy sector. Um, uh, actually, the uh, the uh, prices, uh, but um, but I don't think uh, that it will mean that we will actually uh, we will actually say that uh, yes, uh, we we need to deal with the energy sector. We, we will not do the digital. Uh, on, other way around, actually, we, we need to do more in uh, digital. Actually, what what I didn't mention in my previous speech, actually, what uh, what is very important for us and even more than uh, than before, is to actually highlight uh, the uh, the measures to strengthen the cyber security uh, in uh, in Europe. Uh, we, we know that uh, it, it was mentioned that uh, NIST2 uh, is uh, is actually almost uh, finalized, but so so one of our priorities will be definitely. Uh, to actually uh, do the final final work on NIS2. Uh, we have Cyber Resilience Act uh, in, in the pipeline. What is the biggest threat to European um, cybersecurity? Uh, so, actually, uh, definitely. Um, uh, I think what, what is very important that we have to be united. Uh, we we uh, face uh, we face uh, uh, actually the highest uh, number of uh, cyber attacks in the history. Uh, in Czech Republic or Poland, uh, the countries that are close or neighboring to Ukraine, actually it's it's uh, it's uh, uh, everyday business, and we have to be uh, united. Uh, but uh, uh, actually, it, uh, as a response uh, to your. Uh, reply to your question, I al also would like to mention one, one more thing. Uh, it's not only cybersecurity. It's a, it's a new level of information war. Actually, we, we see uh, unprecedented uh, level of uh, propaganda, fake news, uh, using, uh, uh, using new technologies, using uh, new, new models, actually, how to actually approach the citizens. And this is something we have to address. Uh, so actually, also during the Czech presidency, we were definitely uh, work uh, uh, and uh, address the, the the area of hybrid war and disinformation. Uh, uh, by the end of September, we plan big conference in Prague on on information war, and uh, this is something uh, that, that that really threatens uh, threatens actually European democracy, and we we have to address it uh, even more than before. Okay, lovely. Um, we don't have any questions for you from the audience um, on Slido, which is a bit of a shame because I know that you are getting very close to the time that you do need to leave. So are there any sort of final thoughts um, on your sort of hopes, aspirations for the presidency? Yeah, like um, uh, for us, uh, as I as I've said, actually, we uh, would like to help uh, the European Union to be uh, actually... Um, 
more competitive thanks to digital technologies and actually more digital sovereign but but one thing i also wanted to do, strengthen is that uh, uh, what is very important that uh, the primary way how to uh, how to increase the, the digital sovereignty of uh, europe is actually to really invest into research and development uh, and do uh, uh, do the research in the in the key areas here but not only the research, but uh, also the deployment of the technologies here in Europe. Because we have uh, great programs, we have great projects in, in, in research, we have Horizon Europe, we have uh, lots of uh, wonderful, excellent projects. But the problem of Europe sometimes is that uh, we actually are not able to uh, to make a business here in Europe from uh, from the results of this research. So one of the things uh, we would like to actually uh, emphasize during our presidency is that we need uh, to be more efficient uh, in uh, in doing the uh, doing the business based on the research results of uh, um, that is very often uh, result of uh, European research program, uh, programs here in Europe and uh, definitely uh, digital sovereignty of uh, Europe will be a high priority of our presidency. Much better, Oshko. Thank you so much. Okay, well then, let's. That's what the presidencies have had to say. But what do the rest of our panelists um, think themselves? Well, to understand a little bit about them, we'll now go to the rest of the panel. So we'll start with Anthony Whelan, digital advisor at the Cabinet of Ursula von der Leyen, President of the European Commission. Please do take the floor. Thanks very much, and good afternoon, everyone. Uh, it's. I think a very special moment, uh, the, the passage from one presidency to another, because we, of course, work very, very closely with uh, both co-legislatures, but of course with the presidencies in particular on, on the side of the council. And uh, apart from the, the very necessary congratulations to the French presidency on some of their really uh, impressive uh, conclusion work on, on very complex files, I and mean, they've been mentioned, uh, D Digital Services Act, Digital Markets Act, the, the NIST too. They also invested in a way that uh, is presents a, a, a complex trade-off for any presidency with, with a very heavy mid-commission mandate agenda. They also advanced files that they knew they would not conclude themselves. Mm. Uh, and this is in a way part of the, the public spirited or, or, or the team play of a presidency that uh, uh, Piotr and his colleagues uh, on the Czech part will receive you know, working drafts, uh, read through work uh, on topics like uh, the AI Act, uh, that files that are also very complex, relatively long, uh, uh, that are, are, are have been progressed to a point where we can we can look forward to serious progress now in in the next presidency mandate. Now for for Piotr and, and, and his team, and he has named his priorities and I'm I'm glad to hear them. I think one useful example just to complete uh, what he said and, and to, to end on the point or rather to pick up the point that he ended on on uh, how to take great European research and, and lead it to deployment. Uh, something like the CHIPS Act is actually the expression of that, that we take real European excellence uh, in, in chips and we take it to uh, build partnerships that also reach into startups, that uh, develop test beds that are close to industry deployment, uh, and accompany it with a, a sort of whole of government approach that also looks at how we approach uh, public investment in this uh, pretty special and, and strategic area. So that's a, a file that we also look forward to see 
being uh, advanced. I would also say he hinted at, at one such file. Uh, we, we continue to feed uh, the machine. Uh, the Cyber Resilience Act uh, should come just after the summer with important uh, uh, cybersecurity implications for, for products uh, and, and, and software. Um, we will also come with a file that is not just digital but is very important for uh, uh, the health of our increasingly digital society, which is the European Media Freedom Act. So I won't say more for now. There is, there is plenty to do. Yep, there is, and definitely um, a lot more to discuss. Um, let's now go to Alexander Strel, uh, Academic Director at the EU Think Tank SER, the Centre on Regulation in Europe. Please do take the floor. Yes, thank you very much uh, for, for the invitation and um, uh, good afternoon, everyone. So I just want to make two points, one general on digital sovereignty and one more specific on what has been done uh, regarding the regulation of the platform economy. Now, the, the more general point is that clearly if we want to achieve um, or increase the strategic autonomy of the sovereignty of Europe, that means that we have to have a change of policy paradigm uh, across the European institution and that we should not only um, adopt rules. This is something we, we do a lot and, and we are good at in a way, but we should really be able to design industrial policy. And that's a really new role for Europe, you know. And, and in a sense, you know, I think um, all those crises in uh, the digital technology um, push Europe uh, forward and, is a, and, and maybe would, would be seen um, in, in 50 years as a big step in the European integration, you know. Uh, now, to, to have um, to be able to, to achieve that new role, I think uh, there are three things which are making the thing difficult, at least three things, but on which uh, progress has been made and should continue to be made. First, um, of course, you may have conflicted interest, conflicting also view across the member states, and even you see that within the commission, across commissioner. It's clear that you could see the, those sometimes those tension, and I think it, it's good. Uh, but um, my impression is that we see more and more, uh, let's say, convergence to our having indeed a, a more uh, uh, assertive industrial policy. The second thing is that it will require for the European Commission in particular, which is which will be the engine of all of that. Um, a, a, a new software to some extent, uh, so not only focus on rule, but focus also on standard or funding and on, as it has just been said, going from, from research to market, you know, um, but also it will require new staff within the Commission. I mean, I think really we need to have, the Commission need to have more experts in industry, more, more people who know the technology they are, um, they are talking about. And, 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 and you could see an effort in that direction, so I think I quite, I'm quite optimistic. And and then the third element, of course, is very often industrial policy is linked to an, a, a defense strategy or a defense policy. This is something we still do not have in Europe, but maybe uh, the, the dramatic event that we are living in Europe now uh, will push to that. Now, that's for the general point. For the more specific point on, on the platform economy, you know, I was trying to, at the end of the day, if I have to summarize what the DMA, the DSA, the Data Act is about, to me, it's really about opening the platform and the data, opening them, not breaking them up, uh, uh, because there is a lot of uh, ecosystem and network effect, but um, uh, opening them up to create a path for innovation, for hopefully a new um, uh, EU firm, but, but also they can come from, from elsewhere, obviously. Um, and that may lead, uh, at the end of the day, to an, an internet which will be more decentralized than what we have uh, today. In a way, the project 
is to disintermediate, or the as I read the project, is to disintermediate uh, the global intermediaries that we have now today. Um, and that may lead, in fact, to an internet which is uh, better fit uh, uh, the European uh, industrial tra tradition which is based in general on SME and decentralization. And, and it's clear that there is a, a problem in Europe to scale up. Now, there is two things to say to that. Either we say, okay, let's try to do us the Chinese and us the, the American and, and try to build this big internal market to ease the scaling up, but it seems still to be complicated. An alternative or, or, or something that you could do in combination is to say, no, let's have a kind of another model which is more uh, more decentralized. And, and I think that's maybe what uh, the DMA and the Data Act is about. Thanks. Okay, thank you very much. Okay, and then over to our final panelist who sits here on the stage, um, Wolfgang Kopp. He's a Senior Vice President for Group Public and Regulatory Affairs at Deutsche Telekom. Please go ahead. Well, <clears throat> let me first thank... Um, also Mathieu, uh, Mathieu and the French presidency. I think um, given the fact that uh, we have a, a war in Europe um, and uh, given the fact uh, what the agenda was in, in late 21 from the French and we look now at the results, I think everything has been achieved and even more has been achieved on the digital side uh, despite having this difficult situation. And... Uh, um, most of the highlights have been already named. I think DMA and DSA is uh, a, a really big achievement. And um, I very much agree with um, Alexandre. It will now um, be very important how we execute uh, both um, uh, legislative acts. And uh, that will, um, and I thought... Uh, his introduction on, on what the software of the Commission needs um, are, are worth uh, discussing. I think it needs a, a lot of industrial knowledge and uh, more technical knowledge um, on the side of the um, executive bodies. Um, but uh, let's be um, optimistic. I think that's something the Commission uh, had lived up uh, in the past and uh, they will be able to do it uh, again. Um, I think if you look at the, the other achievements, um, like the CHIPS Act, um, um, I'd like to highlight also uh, something we, we haven't mentioned. In the past six months, not only due to the war, but it was already um, part of the Commission program, um, the Transatlantic Technology Council was something um, which added much to um, convergent thinking on both sides of the Atlantic. If we take the, the Digital Markets Act, it, it's not only Europe uh, having this idea. I mean, we have the same discussion uh, in Congress uh, in the US, and uh, we have uh, legislative proposals and we have actions. Um, the same... Um, with the DSA matters. Um, so I think um, talking about this digital sovereignty um, and the way the French uh, presidency introduced that um, was the right way of bringing us to eye level again with the US. Um, and uh, some of the first discussions already um, have um, resulted in... in um, things uh, which have proven that concept. Take the CHIPS Act. I mean, um, 
there's no race to the bottom in, term, in terms of subsidies. We are coordinating. Um, and that's, again, a big achievement. And uh, what are we coordinating? What are we coordinating? I mean, we are coordinating research for the below five uh, nanometer chips, and uh, we want to have um, these research in Europe. It will happen also in the US, and the production will also happen in, in Europe. So I think that's a, that's a very good uh, achievement, and that's due to the IPSIS we have uh, uh, started. I think it's a role model for others. Um, the big, big uh, issues in the, in the future is cloud and uh, whether we can really uh, keep up with the pace of the big hyperscalers um, and uh, what, have, what are the means to, to achieve this. Um, I have no recipe at the moment. Um, we have started uh, from industry some interesting projects like Gaia-X, um, um, but um, they have to prove that they are really um, um, come to results. Um, but I think um, the level of um, um, movement we brought into the digitization in the past six months was uh, even to me somehow surprising given the, the um, very difficult circumstances uh, um, in politics and other parts. So. Um, I'm, I'm quite optimistic that we can uh, keep up with the other projects. And if we look, um, and that's the final sentence for this um, statement, if we look at the, the, friend, uh, the Czech presidency, what he uh, was introducing, like e-identity, um, those are the, the, the tangible next projects, I think. Um, Data Act, um, we must be careful whether we want to open all the data, especially from small and medium enterprises, but at the other hand, the interoperability uh, issues, which are already uh, foreseen, are really helpful, I think also on the cloud side. So there's a balance to be found. Um, and finally, uh, it was uh, mentioned by Mathieu, um, I think we must do something on the telco side. I'm from this industry. Um, the Collectivity Act is something which is uh, important. And uh, in there, or in a separate regulation, uh, what we call OTT fair share, a fair contribution to our network costs by um, over the top layers is something, um, of course, which is also needed. And we hope that will be the task of the um, Czech presidency. Thank you so much, Mr. Kopf. Okay, well then, um, you know, all of our panelists have given their statements. Um, so let's open up this debate properly. Um, I'm not seeing any questions from anyone in our audience, whether they're in person or online. If you'd like to put your questions into Slido, and then we'll, um, uh, sorry, a lady in the audience has put her hand up. Um, put them into Slido, and then I'll see them here, and then we'll go directly um, to your questions when we do see them. So please get involved with Slido. ASAP. Okay, so all of you talked about, um, you know, lots of positive work that the French presidency and progress they've made. Um, it seems that Europe is at a juncture. Um, but let's set the scene. Um, is it sort of better late than never? Can Europe catch up? Is it too far behind the pack, for example, from the US? Uh, Mr. Whelan, go first, please. That's not one question, it's many questions, uh, because <laughs> if someone were to ask me on, uh, on chip research mm. and, and testing and development, can Europe catch up, uh, I would rather say, can the others catch up, 
True, uh, and, yeah. and is it their interest to, or is it rather their interest, uh, if we find common uh, terms of, of engagement, to, to work with us, which is something that uh, Wolfgang wa was referring to as regards uh, what we discuss in, in the TTC, in the CHIPS area. So it, it, it's very much sector by sector. I, I think one of the targets that we set, uh, which is now under discussion in the Digital Decade program, is on... Uh, European scale-ups and unicorns. And what we have seen with all the, the latest uh, uh, interesting developments on, on market valuations is that European unicorns are becoming more and more numerous. Uh, I think in France, during the last year, or maybe even during the presidency, I can't remember the number, uh, the number doubled, mm. uh, I, I read recently. Uh, some of that is serendipity. Some of it is because of good policy. Uh, and that's where we find the, let's say, the seedbed of not so much catching up, but I think what is most important in fast-moving digital is being in the new markets, creating the new markets uh, for services uh, as well as technologies. Uh, of course, that doesn't mean we renounce areas that are important now and that will stay important. So if we take something like cloud and data, uh, one of the important things of, of the Data Act uh, is that we're not just uh, trying to encourage switching between one and other cloud provider, which might simply lead to switching between one and other hyperscaler, which may be very good and may be what's right for certain users. Uh, the idea of, of, of multi-cloud, of, of enabling it's very good for resilience. Uh, you, you don't want single points of failure. And it's also a, a, a good entry point for the scale-up of, of the European players who are increasingly tailoring their, their offer. So it, it's only one of many examples, but I think uh, we have uh, plenty of fights we can uh, come out uh, stronger from. Yeah. Plenty of fights to come out stronger from. Uh, Mr. Mr. Alexander Schell, your thoughts, please. Uh, yes, I, I don't see why not. And you know, I am I am in the US now since one year, and that's why I'm I, I cannot be with you. And I think sometimes from the Europe we tend to idealize the, the American society uh, on everything, you know, on the economy, on, on on the democracies, and so on. Maybe less uh, recently, but but still. And so I, I don't see why not. I mean, um, and and as I said, I think there is two two issue. One is um, the issue of scaling up uh, that um, Anthony was just mentioning. And, and on that, I think we have done a lot of progress by developing a kind of a, an internal market. And I think what also is very interesting with the DSA and the DMA is that not only we will have a European rule, but we will have a European enforcement. And that is very, very new. And I think that will help tremendously the European market. Um, but also, um, we may also try to, to think about um, an other way of developing the economy, which is more decentralized, as I was, as I was mentioning. And I think um, the recent initiatives that have been adopted try to do both. So I am, I mean, it will be complicated because, as I said, it requires new software and a new staff within the Commission. So it's, it should not be taken for granted. But I think it's absolutely possible. And I am relatively optimistic that this Commission in particular is really ambitious. And I think we, we could really see a difference from with this commission uh, compared to the previous commission. Uh, uh, and when I said previous commission, it's not the Juncker commission only. I mean, it's all, all, all the one before uh, up to the law. So I really think that there is a new ambition now and, and it, it needs to be turned into, into result, but at least it is turned into action now. 
And Islam was lying here, as I was saying um, earlier on. Um, sorry, there's a horn there as well from outside because the window is open. Um, you know, she did make digitalization one of her key priorities. Um, so, Mr. Wheeling, he's also talked about, um, you know, lots more European companies um, entering the market. But they're still nowhere near their foreign rivals, whether it's digital or AI. If we look at them, the biggest tech companies are Apple, Samsung, Alphabet, you know, Microsoft, Huawei. Um, what has caused this, Matthew Vey? Why are, why are our companies so far behind? Well, I think it's, it's I think Anthony was, was mentioning, I think rightly that um, we Europeans must stop beat ourselves up for uh, the fact that there are uh, much larger companies that have taken some dominant market positions in the, basically in the B2C area. Um, um, and that's, um, I think, of course, due to network effects and, and all the, the specificities of digital, which are leading actually today to uh, the DMA, which is based on the premise that we need more contestability of these markets. But, but we have a number of, of very strong assets in Europe. And if you look at the long term, what matters is skills. And we have the skills. What matters is, uh, of course, funding. And we are beginning to uh, really strengthen our funding ecosystem in Europe. And uh, I mentioned some of the initiatives with Scale Up Europe that date back a few, uh, a few presidencies now, but uh, that we try to obviously uh, push forward. And, and the idea is that, of course, Europe today already is a market that even these large American companies you mentioned, they cannot live without the European market. It's a major strength. And what we need is just to avoid being just a market to address or skills, you know, to, to, to hire for uh, foreign companies, but also uh, be part of the negotiation based on our assets in industry, in uh, R&D, in uh, many other areas. And, and I think the TTC is a good signal. Wolfgang, I think, mentioned the TTC, that uh, there is a, a, a level discussion today about Europe in the tech sector, which did not exist previously. And there's much more respect for Europe as a tech player as, pre as it was uh, before. And this is a very good signal. So there's no way uh, we, we can consider that the battle would be lost or anything like this. Okay, uh, Mr. Kopp, is the EU then, a, do you also um, support that the EU is now a bigger tech player? Um, not yet. Not um, yet. <laughs> yeah, okay. No, no. Um, I mean, if you look at the sheer numbers um, among the two, uh, the big 25 tech companies in the world, there are only two. Um, if telco is tech, so it's us and SAP from uh, Germany. Um, if you look at the... Um, um, numbers um, um, of the B2C business, uh, Mathieu just mentioned. I mean, we are we are still well behind. If I looked at the um, B2B business, I think it, uh, we still have a big opportunity. And even um, in the software sector, there's a lot of uh, 
software specialized uh, companies and one shouldn't underestimate uh, what uh, what a lot of mid-sized companies in Europe doing which are called machinery companies but uh, mainly they're producing software uh, in many instances um, but they're not counted as digital sector um, so we have um, um, a vibrant uh, mid-sized uh, um, sector which uh, which is doing well, um, especially also in my home country. Um, so I think um, combined with skills, and there we are uh, we are really living up and m might be better in the end. Um, that's something which at least uh, enables us in the future. Um, there's another thing you ask about the reason. I mean, the the, uh, the main reason for B2C uh, leadership is quite simple. The U.S. has uh, one single market, 340 uh, million inhabitants, and uh, it has a very um, um, well-fed um, private equity sector, which in, uh, invested on VC sector, which invested in all these companies. That didn't exist in... Europe, but if you compare a united Europe with more than 500 million inhabitants, um, it's much bigger, and that's why they need to listen now. And if we are doing this, what we did in the, in the past two or three years, and especially now with the French presidency, just um, adding together what we can and um, um, shape it around uh, digital sovereignty, um, that's a big step forward also psychologically and I think it works um, and that's why I'm saying um, there's some optimism uh, that we can scale up. There's one thing um, I would um, um, caution a little um, if we we tend to overregulate, and um, if I look at the AI Act I think uh, we as a company supported um, uh, this act from the very beginning, we, we added some ethic rules and made proposals how this should be done. But now it becomes bigger, bigger, bigger. Um, AI is at the beginning, it's not in the end. And we're doing um, now regulation which might prevent further innovation. And that would be a bad thing. Um, there I would uh, very carefully look at the details. And that uh, same is with the data act. As a, just mentioned. Okay, Mr. William, you can probably jump in then. So AI, possibly too overregulated. Um, the industry is saying they need help to catch up. Um, is overregulation a thing for the European Commission? I mean, where can you help the industry? Yeah, I, I, of course, we, we always need to be very careful in finding the right balance in, in regulation. First of all, in choosing what to regulate, the, there was quite some reflection on whether AI was the right thing to intervene on at a relatively early stage in its deployment in Europe, and if so, how to do it. Uh, in that particular case, uh, the single market that has been cited as one of the main advantages, if, if, if we can actually get it operational in, in digital areas is the key motivation. Um, uh, AI raises plenty of societal issues and if we don't intervene on these in order to create a framework that people find socially satisfying, then it will surely be done at national level. And, and putting Humpty Dumpty back together afterwards is, is normally 
much more difficult, uh, as we learned when we were quite young. Uh, so the question then, if, if we intervene, because these are compelling questions and they are better done for a sort of market development reason at European level, uh, then the question, okay, well, what is the intensity of intervention and so on, is an important one. When uh, Wolfgang refers to it growing and growing, uh, he may be referring to its evolution after it left our house. <laughs> and of course, we have to engage with the many legitimate views on, on what should be the right scope of intervention on a, a, a new uh, and exciting, but in some ways uh, troubling uh, technology. Uh, with AI? I mean, what's the kind of um, goal of it? What are the objectives? Well, let's say the, the most important thing about the AI Act as proposed by the Commission uh, is the very, very, very large number of sectors and uses that are essentially not addressed because we have taken the so-called risk-based approach uh, in order to identify areas with particularly high risks of unforeseen impacts for, for people's rights, uh, their health, their, their security, and said, okay, there we need to front load a bit on the, the responsible deployment by producers and users. Uh, and that is, of course, where then a lot of the debate centers. Uh, uh, should the number of high-risk cases be this wide or this wide, and who should decide when we expand them or, or change them? Uh, something I've noticed in, uh, I think, the council discussions on, on AI is uh, the interesting discussion on how you frame regulatory sandboxes, because this is a very important complementary element uh, that even as you create this regulatory framework, you create space for cooperative experimentation that respects the boundaries but uh, can allow uh, innovation to, to prosper. And I think that has been getting quite some attention from Matthew and his, his colleagues. Indeed. Well, maybe Matthew can um, comment on that further. Uh, I think the, uh, behind the AI Act are, are a few of the... Um, overarching questions uh, for digital. Um, what is the balance between the technology and the societal safeguards? What is the balance between uh, um, uh, freedom and, and uh, of innovation and uh, potential setbacks to individual freedoms on the other side? Uh, um, public security, individual freedoms. Everything is in this text. And that's why we, we really like the approach of the uh, risk-based approach from the Commission that needs to be maintained, enhanced in the document and the text. And we in the French presidency, we focused a lot of our energy and, and we really were aware how um, impossible it was to to reach this, I mean, to, to push this text towards a, a conclusion during our presidency, but we thought it would be helpful to clarify the, this, how this text can support innovation through sandbox, um, um, real conditions testing, and also clarifying some of the uh, framing and definitions uh, that are underlying the text. There, there's still a lot to do. Uh, there are many hurdles I mean, there are pitfalls. We could fall into uh, over-regulation. We could fall into also uh, the opposite of uh, not addressing some of the fundamental concerns of society regarding AI. 
but I'm really confident that the Czech presidency and the parliament, which is the other uh, co-legislator, uh, will uh, help us steer us through a, a fruitful balance uh, in this regard. And it's, it's very important to take it at European level and not 27 national laws on the topic. Okay, thank you so much. So I was just um, quickly checking the iPad, having a bit of a technical issue with that. And I will come to audience questions because I'm quite aware of the fact that we have about 20 minutes left because the debate has been moving very fast. Um, okay, Mrs. Israel, let me come to you um, and move it on, move the discussion on to digital security. Um, what are the biggest challenges um, for Europe there? And who's the biggest threat then? Is it Russia? Is it China? Um, your thoughts? Well, I'm not really a specialist on that, so I would prefer to defer the question to 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 someone else. Uh, if if you okay, who would like to ask the question? Okay, go ahead, please. Uh, we are among the the biggest um, cyber defense um, service provider in Europe, so we are operating a number of cyber defense centers and employing more than two thousand people in that field, and it's growing, growing, growing. Of course, also because of the war. If you look at the at the current um, cyber threats, um, we are not really seeing, uh, due to the war, a lot of more direct attacks. What we are seeing is a, more, a lot of um, um, activity where... Um, um, no, um, I'm talking about groups who would try to detect vulnerabilities, and that's something you do also with automatic means. It's like ransom uh, sniffing, it's called. <laughs> and um, that activity is, is increasing, increasing, increasing at the moment. Um, in terms of defense, I think uh, not only uh, Europe, um, the entire Western world uh, is, uh, is quite vulnerable um, because uh, any of our basic infrastructure is depending on software and can be attacked. And that's something um, I think uh, many governments overlooked in the past or they were not really aware of the real threats. Uh, and now everybody is starting uh, uh, to ask for people who can help. Um, um, the difficulty is there's a, a very limited number of people who can help, so the, the, the skill set is not widely available. We have to educate people. Um, and at the same time, um, the sophistication of uh, such attacks are increasing. I mean, it's like in any war um, and defense. I mean, it goes up and up and up. Um, so um, one could be very pessimistic. The good thing is... Um, um, even the attackers are not uh, so sophisticated in the end that uh, one couldn't detect them. Um, and then you come very early uh, to, to questions uh, of international law, um, how to deal with them. Yeah? Because uh, many of the attacks are not, cannot be directly attributed to states, but one knows that um, these groups are close to a state, um, that brings up uh, to the Budapest Convention and all this stuff, uh, which needs to be reformed. So there's plenty of also um, unknown legal ground in this field. Um, and uh, that will be tested, I think, in, in, 
in the next months and year due to this Ukraine war, because that's uh, what's on going on there. Um, we haven't seen only the starting point, I think, um, and uh, there, there might more be more in the pipeline, unfortunately. Okay, um, we're going to try to get in some of the audience questions now. Um, so all of you get ready for a bit of a rapid fire round. Um, there's one for Anthony Whelan. Will the Commission introduce a proposal for OTT Fair Share in the Connectivity Act or the 2023 work programme? If not, why not? Does the Commission still need to do more research, impact, assessment, stakeholder consultation? Now, the great thing about three-part <laughs> questions is I, I pick the part I answer to. Um, we're looking very closely at this issue, which I think uh, answers the last question. I, I don't think uh, it's uh, really quite mature yet to say in which particular basket or time frame or instrument uh, uh, we might ultimately pronounce ourselves on this. But we have made clear in, let's say, the overall framing uh, of the digital uh, principles that we put on the table earlier this year that everyone should contribute proportionately, I can't remember the exact wording, to the, the digital public goods uh, such as connectivity that, uh, that everyone enjoys. How you translate that, uh, I think, hopefully mutually agreeable principle to all into uh, specific uh, mechanisms or rules of the road for the digital infrastructure uh, and economy is something that uh, I think uh, requires very close study, very close stakeholder consultation and um, important reflection, which we're right. doing. Okay, lovely. Um, Wolf, I think this question can go to you. And we will go to our online panellists in a moment as well. And um, this is from Constance. She says, from the N French National Cybersecurity Agency. Uh, she says, in the introduction, there was a mention of protection of data as well as the observation that regarding cloud, the EU was not at the forefront. So how European digital sovereignty fits between these concerns and what can be done? Oh. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I don't have an immediate answer. I mean, the, um, is the, the, uh, the question would be, is it more about security or what can be done about European cloud? Mm. Um, I mean, the security uh, of clouds, is the, the issue is uh, all over the world the same, how to protect the data. Um, and that's a technology question and uh, how to... <coughs> to um, introduce the right security mechanisms. Um, of course, uh, the more you send uh, data around the world, the more valuable uh, it becomes at one point of uh, <coughs> time. Um, but in, in terms of European cloud, I think, um, um, and European sovereignty, I mean, um, we need to have some cloud rules for Europe. And um, that entails, of course, also some data localization rules um, that needs, um, that entails um, things like uh, where does the first, second, and third level support take place? Because um, um, people tend to overlook how uh, data or clouds are protected and serviced. So, for example, um, 
um, the U.S. Uh, discovered only a few years ago that much of the servicing of uh, clouds was done out of China. <laughs> and then suddenly they said, ooh, um, um, if you have a... Um, 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 <coughs> service level um, operator who has all the the um, uh, clearances to 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 work remotely i mean there it depends where he sits in the end yeah um such things are important if we want to have a sovereign protected cloud in in a certain area and um i think there we can learn from the us i mean they protect their important clouds the same way we should protect them <coughs> okay, lovely. Um, let's now, uh, perhaps Alexander Gistrell, maybe that's something you wanted to comment on. No, but just two point and one point, and then I want also to comment on the over-regulation point. Um, so, I mean, what what I think this point illustrates is that infrastructure is absolutely essential, and we cannot just focus on, on services. And at the end of the day, the infrastructure is probably more important, the infrastructure part is probably more important than, than the service part. So, so I think, and this is also why the fair share debate and everything is, is also so important, because we really... We really need to have a, 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 a strong, resilient and, and sovereign infrastructure in Europe. The other thing I wanted to say about regulation is that, um, you know, and the risk of overregulation, I think it's really depending of what kind of regulation we are talking about. But I mean, if it is a regulation which is pro aimed to create more competition or more innovation, I think more regulation should, should be good. And the second thing I wanted to say is that... Um, what what worries me a bit is not so much the overregulation, but the the consistency across all those regulations, because we have a, a, a really an inflation, uh, not only of uh, of the currency but also of the of the digital loan or in 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 Europe, uh, and 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 the consistency between all those um, acts, or they are all called act, no, which is a new act, a new name, um, is sometimes. Um, Weak. So, so I think we we have to be. We, 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 I mean, it's maybe inevitable to some extent, but there would be a huge effort in the implementation to be sure that they are implemented in a in a consistent way. And I think that will be one of the challenges uh, for the Commission and for the national authorities uh, in the year to come. Okay, uh, Matthew, Bay, I'm going to come to you with a question. I don't think it's for you, but I'm sure you can comment. Um, so Anya says the digital decade connectivity targets are ambitious and need hundreds of billions of investment. How will the Connectivity Infrastructure Act help foster investment? Um, so so we are, we're really looking forward to, to seeing uh, more details on the Connectivity Act and, and Anthony uh, hinted at the... the the fact that still a significant amount of work was left to be done. But what we're seeing, in at least in, in France, is, is how important, uh, of course, investment-friendly regulation can be. And um, uh, I think it's fair to say that the um, telcos are... Um, 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 are really doing the job in rolling out when the framework is well set up and there's clear uh, uh, clear framework for what can be done from the private investment, the public investment, whether from government or local authorities. Um, we are uh, uh, in France rolling out fiber at a pretty high pace right now. And um, this has not been uh, requiring uh, 
any structural change in the market. We still have four telcos. There's uh, very attractive pricing for uh, uh, users. So it's possible, but it's a, a, a chemistry of regulation that needs to be addressed. And um, certainly the fact that everyone benefiting from this connectivity um, uh, being involved, playing a, a constructive role um, uh, into this into this chemistry is absolutely essential. Uh, but I think uh, you know, in some credit must be provided to uh, telcos. They know their business. They can deliver, and uh, we are hopeful that they will uh, help us uh, secure these very ambitious goals that are being set up in the digital decade pro digital decade program. Okay, thank you very much. Um, a couple of questions on connectivity. Mr. Whelan, I'm going to come to you first because this is something we haven't completely touched upon yet. It's um, basically takeaways from the pandemic. And I know this is a question um, that perhaps, you know, you may want to answer, you may want someone to answer, but um, 5G or possibly even 6G or fast fibre broadband, um, is there a sense for the European Commission or the EU as a whole that we need to get you know, ordinary European, Europeans more connected, especially those li living in rural areas, the people that aren't perhaps well connected to the internet, because that's a massive part of your workforce um, that could be really productive here. Uh, well, there's actually a pretty simple answer to that. It's yes. <laughs> uh, in a way, w the, the one of the least complicated bits of, of, uh, of telecom public policy uh, intervention is saying yes in areas where you have a certain population that is probably not dense enough to justify uh, market rollout of, of the best technologies or not as fast uh, because they first serve denser areas in, in cities and so on. Then uh, it is, since quite some, some years, uh, perfectly normal in, in state aid uh, practice to allow uh, public support for, for networks in such areas. Th then you get into sort of important but second-order questions. So what is the level of step-up and market failure and tack, tack, tack uh, that you can justify in given circumstances? And that's actually the subject right now of uh, the revision of, of broadband state aid guidelines that uh, hopefully will be, will be concluded fairly soon. Um, what, what is tougher in a way is uh, the question that, that Mathieu touched on. How do you create optimal conditions for investment so that people still get uh, prices and, and terms for access that make uh, the best connectivity services at, at attractive and usable for them, and at the same time uh, keep in investment incentives at a point where the, the areas where you need to do public investment are really just pushed out to the very marginal ones because the rest of the territory is, is marketable and attractive for them. Uh, and, and that is uh, a, a juggling uh, that we've been doing for many years with telecom regulation that is also designed to uh, keep competition for infrastructure and for services uh, sustainable. Whether the somewhat new debate on the fair share will will significantly uh, move the cursor on this is, is one of those questions we are studying deeply. Indeed, and perhaps you'd like to comment there as well. Well, um, picking up the, the last thing you just said, um, I think the, the 
um, fair share um, is a contribution to the huge investments uh, every telco is now um, doing or envisaging. Um, and uh, I think uh, it will uh, enhance the rollout and it will uh, make the business cases more stable. Um, Mathieu spoke about um, 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 chemistry and environment which incentivizes investment. Um, I think uh, the, the biggest issue we are having as every investor in Europe is um, the predictability of national regulators. Yeah? Um, I mean, we've seen this in Germany, we've seen this in other countries. We operate, if it can be even a change in person, and then uh, suddenly laws get uh, completely differently interpreted and uh, investments get uh, devaluated. I mean, that's... Uh, that's uh, and there, I, I think... Um, the old mantra of deregulation in sectors where the, the, the competition has proven to be contestable and, and um, s stable, um, I think, is something uh, we shouldn't uh, um, forget. And um, um, of course, there will be no review of the code at the moment, but uh, um, I think the um, what is called Infrastructure Act. Uh, which uh, has elements uh, where we have a lot of uh, opportunity for uh, deregulation is something we should carefully look at, that we get this thing right. And um, I think the biggest issue in, in Europe for the moment is um, that uh, regulation is also on fiber is com uh, applied by different regulators completely differently. I mean, there's so much difference in terms of how is um, the regulation is applied that uh, here we will never see a single market at all if we if the commission is not intervening and really looking for um, a more harmonized application and uh, yeah no he's in, he's he's in the wrong cabinet <laughs> but he's overlooking all cabinets so i'm i'm addressing him well, exactly. uh, <laughs> Uh, that I, I, I bear the bruises of two rounds of telecom legislative reform where we were trying to bring a degree of uh, unity and, and perhaps a bit more rigor in choosing when and, and how to, to intervene uh, through regulation. Um, so I, I'm not sure I have any more answers to, <laughs> to offer at this stage. But of course, the, the uh, Connectivity Infrastructure Act whatever uh, are the speculations about its content on, on the so-called fair share question, it will in any event hopefully bring a number of important reforms on how networks are rolled out in a way that will simply lower the cost and therefore increase the marketability uh, profile of certain areas. Okay, brilliant. Um, just very, very quickly, um, I'm going to go to Matthew Vey to final, comp fi final thoughts, please. I think my, my my final thought would be that uh, uh, we 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 still are at a turning point for uh, digital Europe. Um, it's uh, we're still at the point where we need to prove ourselves, prove we can implement the various texts that have been approved recently, prove we can find the right balance uh, with the Czech presidency. 
between innovation, protection, uh, freedoms, um, um, and and of course uh, innovation. So that's that's where we are now. Uh, I think the, the the there are very strong signals that Europe is getting together, that we can uh, now act according to our values, and uh, this is uh, the optimistic side of me uh, uh, saying that uh, I think we're we're in good shape and in good hands with the Czech presidency. Mr. Strahl, quickly then, is Europe in good shape? Oh, Mrs. Strahl, can you... Do you ah, sorry. Yes, you, you, <laughs> no uh, worries. Sorry, yeah. maybe I mumbled your name. I don't know. Um, but no, yeah, no, so no. Yes, I, I, final I mean, I think I think there is there is a lot of challenge, uh, really a lot. But if the Commission managed to change its software and if it is supported by the member states, I think yes. If those two things do not happen, then I think we are uh, we, we are not in good shape. But I'm optim reasonably optimistic, uh, given what I have seen so far. Okay, perfect. Uh, Mr. Whelan, perhaps, your final thoughts? Maybe just one thing. It, it, it's a specific feature of a specific file, but that may show that indeed there is a realization that we, we need to do things in a different way. The DSA was a, a very unusual piece of legislation in the sense that it was the council under French presidency that got together and decided that the solution was to give more responsibilities to the Commission. So sorry, no paragraph headline uh, for those who like, who like to use that expression. This was a more of a power thrust and it, it won't be the solution in every case and we don't have the resources for such a solution. But it, I think it shows the consciousness that for certain things the single market has to be made more operational and we need to be inventive on the solutions and I think people, including the member states and the presidencies, are, are willing to take on that challenge as well. Perfect. Then final thoughts go to you. Well, um, it's, a, it's a plea to, to Anthony as well. Um, I think that the single biggest obstacle to, to um, digitization and also to a digital single market are local governments. I think the the local administrations who are not willing to, which are not willing to uh, digitize, who do, uh, which do things uh, the way old-fashioned, using. I mean, we had this in Germany: uh, health institutions relying only on faxes in COVID. I mean, unbelievable. Um, and um, I mean, we have lighthouse uh, countries in Europe like Estonia. Where everything works, yeah, and where we, as a senior leadership team from Deutsche Telekom, went last summer to so to have a COVID break and to see how how that works, yeah? and it's brilliant. But um, I think if Europe, uh, the the local administrations, are not living up to that, we will have a problem. And I wonder how the Commission uh, can, I mean, they cannot regulate it. We know this, <laughs> but they can create incentives and um, we mentioned the EU identity that might be something there there are other means to push and i think that's something we shouldn't overlook yeah okay, lovely um and just quick show of hands anyone in, in the audience actually know how to use a fax Okay, one person, <laughs> two people. Okay, brilliant. Okay, um, well, on <laughs> it's an age thing. Um, I wouldn't know how to use one, but hey. <laughs>
Okay, well, we're going to have to leave it there. But Matthew Ve, Peter Ochko, um, who, of course, had to leave early, Anthony Whelan, Alexander Strel, and Wolfgang Kopf, um, thank you all so, so much for being a part of this um, discussion. Um, and to everyone ha who has, of course, joined us um, this evening, our in-person audience and everyone online, I hope um, that this debate has given you a flavour, you know, why EU digital sovereignty matters. Um, I'm Mariam Zaid, and you've been watching a hybrid Euroactive conference in partnership with Deutsche Telekom. Take care and bye-bye.